All right. Hopefully you really did meet someone new and were friendly and outgoing. I know that is your favorite time. <laughs> um, hey, welcome. So glad you guys are here. Do me a favor. Turn to Mark chapter 3 and Acts chapter 2. Mark's chapter th- Mark chapter 3, Acts chapter 2. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. We would love to get you one so you can follow along with us. Um, as you're turning there, let me just share a few things. I really missed you guys last week. I don't know uh, if you felt the same, but thanks, Mike. <laughs> uh, but it was actually really weird to like walk outside and you're like, they canceled church. It's like a beautiful day. And the hurricane was just moving so painfully slowly. It was like, why is this canceled? Um, so I really missed you guys last week, but it is good to be back. And just speaking of the hurricane, uh, obviously, you know, we were spared. And uh, this is not just something we want to post or hashtag, but we really do want to pray for the Bahamas and kind of what they're walking through. Uh, pray for the Carolinas, you know, what they've walked through. And so here's kind of what we're doing as a church. We will be giving uh, financially and in other ways to Samaritan's Purse. Uh, we believe that's probably just the best way that we can partner and help and support the Bahamas. Um, so we'd, being a part of that, plus trying to give things uh, that shipments might be going out from this area soon. So if you would like to bring anything next week, uh, that'll probably be just the last week we can, and only week we can really take things. But um, please bring some supplies. You can read online. We'll post something in, in a newsletter describing what you can bring, um, just so if you're like curious about some supplies. But we will be partnering with them. So let's just really keep them in prayer, and that's more than just um, something we post. We really do want to pray for them, and what an opportunity for the body of Christ to come around and share the gospel and share the good news of Jesus uh, with a community that is hurting and broken. So we'll actually try to even maybe take a small trip with Samaritan's Purse when they post that information with a few individuals who want to be part of that, so just so you kind of know. Um, also, I uh, want to point this out. We don't do this very often, but I do want to highlight a, a little book that I'm using today in my teaching and that we'll be using just in general. Uh, it's really small. I know it's like this is not helpful. It's called Follow Me. A Simple Guide to Following Jesus. As you can see, it's very thin. In case you're like, I don't like reading this, very thin. And it's just talking through what is, this, what is a disciple? What does it look like to follow Jesus? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to um, give these out to anyone who's new to the faith. If anyone gets saved or gets baptized, we want to give these out for free. Um, we are going to sell them in the back for eight bucks. It costs us 11 bucks. We're selling them from eight because we are great business people, super savvy. Um, <laughs> but no, we do want to just bless you guys. We just think it's really worth it. Um, a simple guide to following Jesus. And that's really our topic today, essentially. And I honestly think that is probably the most, this is probably the most helpful read. If someone's like, what does it mean to be a Christian and follow Jesus? What does that look like? Simple, easy, clear, kind of, it kind of have like pictures if you uh, like that. So it's a great little book, great little read. I highly recommend it. It is free. If you're just new to church, you're like, I want one. Just get, grab one. It's free. Just take it. You can, we won't call it stealing. You can just take it. Um, but if you like one and you like to read that yourself, please grab one in the back. So uh, that's that. Also, speaking of following Jesus, this might be my last and only time. We've announced in a long time. But my last time announcing this, we are doing an Israel trip 2020. So uh, that is in April. So we do, I'm looking so forward to this. We're going to walk where Jesus walked, boat where Jesus boated, ATV where Jesus ATV, you know, <laughs> but we are going to do that. Um, this is a trip for us, honestly, where it's, it's like 11 days, 12 days, and it's basically half a year, a year of seminary in these 11 days. I mean, it really is mind-blowing to walk where Jesus walked and study these things. So we haven't announced this in a while. We have about 20-something people coming on this trip with us, um, and so we'd love for you to be part of this if you can. It's three days after Easter, April 15th, and uh, since we're talking about following Jesus, we can do that and literally see it. All right, 
That is it. Uh, Mark 3, Acts 2. Let me kind of explain what's happening today. So today, we begin a little mini four-week series called Church Life. Uh, Here's the hope of this series. This is not going to be an exhaustive Bible study on ecclesiology and the study of the church. It's not going to be that, but I do think it will be really formative for us as a local church, as a local expression of the body of Christ. And I'm really looking forward to this for many reasons, but here's kind of the next four weeks. We'll throw the topics up here for you. Today, we're talking about a community following Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus in community? Next week, we're going to talk about the body of Christ, meaning everyone has a role. Do not think for a moment it's for people up here, by no means. And then we do want to look at the doctrine of deacons and the doctrine of elders. And uh, we're going to really kind of do an in-depth, why did God create and establish leadership and elders and deacons, and what is their role, and what does that look like? And actually today, at the end of service, we're going to show our deacon nominees and our one elder nominee. Uh, and we're going to do that as, you know, the ne- this today, then we're going to actually do a teaching on it, and then call them up, and kind of have like a deacon and elder covenant, where almost they do their wedding vows in a sense. Like, I vow to honor God's church in this way. So, I'm really looking forward to this because maybe you've had, you grew up in a church experience. You're like, I don't know what that is, or is that really, are they really a deacon? What does that mean? Um, And we want to talk about just servant leadership and how God designed this. So I'm really looking forward to this. If you have questions, please come, wait, ask questions. And we'll actually even put the pictures of the nominees in a newsletter so you can read, and we want you to bring things to our attention with that. So I'll explain that more at the end. Uh, But this is our four-week series, Church Life. And simply today, we're trying to answer two questions. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And what does it look like to follow Jesus in community? Why does Jesus call us not just to follow him, but follow him with others? And we want to look at this, and I think this is so keen. If you're like, I get it, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. I hope that this can, in a sense, be a time for us where we're looking into a mirror and saying, God, but where am I off? Am I really following Jesus? Am I really following Jesus in every year of my life? Am I a church attendee or my follower of Jesus? And am I doing this in community? Am I doing this with others, with true accountability? Are they, are they encouraging me, loving me, challenging me? And we do want to just look at this in depth. So uh, this will be our, our study for today. I'm so excited. So Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, we're going to read verse 13. All right, and just so you know, I have to use a different, you guys, we pass out the New King James. I'm using the ESV because I opened up Mark in my old Bible, and that page of the Bible is ripped out because I need a new Bible. All right, so here it is. Mark chapter, 13, or Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Let's read it, and then we'll pray and look at this more in depth. It says, And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to Jesus. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These were the people Jesus chose to change the world. (laughs) And what a misfit group this is. And so I'm excited to pray and look at this more in depth because what a misfit group this is, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, So let's pray, and we'll look at this more in depth. Father, we just, um, we really do want to slow down and um, not just say thank you. 
We want our hearts just to be grateful in this moment that we are gathered together. We don't want to take this for granted that we can openly study your word, openly follow you. God, that we try to just even change the areas of our lives that maybe we're off in our beliefs, in our actions, in our lifestyle. And just Holy Spirit, we need you. We cannot do this without you. We ask that you would just um, lead this conversation, lead this time, that God, as we look at your word and really the intent of following you and following you in community, I probably ask, God, I beg that this would not just be words only. Let this truly be a group of people dedicated, devoted to each other, to you, to the gospel. And uh, we ask that, Jesus, you would just do something fresh in us and new in us. In your wonderful name. Amen. So I'm sure all of you last week were following Hurricane Dorian in some capacity, whether it's just through the news or through apps or uh, maybe social media, we're following it to some extent. My wife downloaded an app. I was like following it, I feel like, every moment of the day, which is cool. Uh, but we're, I think all of us followed it mostly. And this is still new to me. You know, this is kind of like our second hurricane. You know, we're not like used to this. And I don't know if you feel this way, but hurricanes are just bizarre. They are strange to me. Um, it is one of the weirdest things to prep for this thing that might or might not happen. And so, as you know, like last weekend, we're waiting for it. And doesn't really come. And it's weird because I don't know if I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I feel this like weird mixed feeling of like, I'm so glad it didn't hit us. Like, God, thank you. But why do I feel disappointed? Like, what? I don't know. If, is that just me? You're like, that's terrible. I know. Um, I'm kind of like, oh, so that, that's it, huh? Like all this water and food in my house. And okay. I don't know. Like, it's just this weird, this is weird feeling that comes with that. And it's funny because looking at this, this hurricane, this past week and a half or so, it, it's just absolutely bizarre. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw the memes out there, like, you know, watching a hurricane or following a hurricane is like being stalked by a turtle and it really felt that way it's like when will it get here and just created these weird emotions and feelings and here's what i see from this when you follow something it changes how you live when you follow anything it changes how we live and how we do life and you know i go to the grocery store last wednesday previous wednesday and i arrive there and all the bread, bread and water's gone and people are acting like it's Armageddon. I'm like, what is going on? And there's like a basket next to me full of bread. I'm like, you really need that much bread? Like what is, I don't know, it's just the weirdest thing happening. People are fighting, there's gas lines like an hour and a half long, you know, and then you go there on Saturday and no one's there. All of it was just so weird to me. And here's what I see from this. When you follow something so intently, you download the app, you follow it on social media, you're watching the news. When you follow, whatever it is you're following, it's gonna change your actions. It's gonna change your mood. It's going to change how you do life. I think for a lot of people, it just created anxiety. It created this like unsettledness. You know, my wife and I were joking, like, hurricane brought to you by Publix and Home Depot. Like, you know, it just creates this like weird angst in, the, in us. And here's why I'm saying this. All of us follow something. And whatever it is we follow or track, it changes how we live. And I really want us to get this. And it's funny how this did this in my heart. As I followed this hurricane, it created anxiety. I mean, that was unnecessary. I was buying things I did not need to buy and just returned them all this week. It just created weird things in me. And I want you to think through this because we are called to follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, what does that do to us? What kind of desires does that stir within us? What should that create? What kind of attitudes or actions or lifestyles or patterns does it create when you follow Jesus? When you follow a hurricane or we follow anything, a sport or whatever, it just changes how we view life and how we just do things. And so here is the point of this message, of this sermon of Jesus and his heart for us. When you follow Jesus, when you really follow Jesus, it's so much more than just attending. It's so much more than just coming. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And so we're going to talk about that. Here's what I see. Two simple points 
in Mark 3, two simple things. But if we could not just get this, but let it sink into our hearts, it will change everything. So first, here's what we see. Mark chapter 3, we see Jesus' call to follow him. Please don't ignore this. He's calling them to follow him. Number two, we see that Jesus calls to follow him, but in community as well. So he calls them individually to follow him, but he says, follow me with others. And here's what we learn, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Let's break this down. All right, number one is this, Jesus' call to follow him. Would you look again at verse 13? Verse 13, it says, Jesus went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted or desired. He called. He called them those he himself wanted. Here's what we see. Throughout scriptures, we just see this, this truth that I, I still don't understand. I still, it's hard for me to digest this, but we cannot follow Jesus unless he's called us. We cannot follow Jesus unless he's called us and we've heard that call, respond to that call. It's Jesus saying to all the disciples, hey, leave your nets, follow me. It's Jesus saying to us, leave this, follow me. You cannot follow Jesus unless he's called you. And I really hope this sinks in because I believe Jesus is calling you. I believe in this moment, for some of you in this room, he is calling you. He's saying, leave, leave it all and follow me. And there is this crazy like power attached to this follow me. When they do leave it all, and when they do follow him, these guys who are fishermen, who are Galileans, who are viewed as the uneducated, they literally change the world. And there's power associated to the call. So when Jesus calls you, there's power given. When Jesus calls you, there's something completely different. Listen, no one really knows Jesus till they follow him. I don't know if you ever just talked to someone on the street about Jesus and they're like, oh, I've read the Bible before. And like, I've read it five times, actually. And they, they kind of like have weird assumptions or ideas or thoughts about Jesus. But you really don't know Jesus till you follow him. There's a side of this where it's like, has he called you? Have you followed? Have you followed the way of Jesus? Have you followed the person of Jesus? Not just read about him, not just read about him with others, but have you actually given your life to following Jesus? And there's something very strong about this. And I know this is, this is hard for some of us when we hear this, but we do see this. God always initiates. God's the one always initiating us. God's always the one pursuing us. First John 4 says what? Why do we love God? Because he first loved us. See, God's love is this initiating love. See, what I love about this is I think so long in my Christian life as like a young teenager and trying to understand like, what does this mean? What does this look like? There's a side of it where it's like, I thought if I just did good, God would accept me. And it was very difficult. I thought like I had to initiate like my love for God or prove my love to God in some capacity. And I don't know what this mindset comes from as far as like maybe one day God's like, finally, you, you finally prayed enough. I now love you. Like, I don't know where this mindset comes from, but we, we all, I think, fight this in some way. Rather than seeing God being the initiator, God seeing these men and saying, hey, you, you follow me. He calls those he himself desired. And listen, here's something that's so important for all of us. And, and if you've been walking with Jesus for even 40, 50 years, don't ignore the call of Jesus. Do not for a moment. Can I tell you, Jesus called me, but he calls me again and again. I feel like there's so many different times and points in my life where Jesus not just calls me to follow him, but it's like, hey, follow me in this area of your life. Like, give this up again. I want to say, do not ignore the call of Jesus. If you ever have felt or sensed that God says, I love you, I've created you for a reason, I have more for you than how you're living currently, please do not ignore the call. There's a side of this, you guys, where I'm not just trying to give you information. I really do believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and say, please, follow Jesus with everything. 
where have you not followed Jesus? In what area of your life are you saying, I'm not going to give to Jesus? And there's this call to follow him in all ways. And notice this. Jesus did this here and he did this other places, but he said, hey, follow me, follow me. You know what we see? We see this call is incredibly personal. Jesus looks at you and calls you by name and says, your name, follow me. Hey, Peter, follow me. Andrew, follow me. Hey, Josiah, follow me. Hey, Sarah, follow me. Like, he calls you out by name and says, follow me. And I want you to know this, that Jesus knows your name, and it's very personal. And, and it's very, it, this, this idea of following Jesus is so intimate. And here's why this is important. I don't want to just, like, preach a sermon. I really want us to be a community following Jesus. And here's what I want to point out when I say following Jesus. So when I say we are followers of Jesus, can we acknowledge this, this thought? It's like one thought, but two things. When I follow Jesus, I'm saved from something and saved to something else. Can we point out that Jesus has saved you from something, but not only that, he saved us to something else. I think sometimes we kind of maybe look at it like one side or the other, but let's just break this down. Jesus saved us from something. Jesus saved, we are saved people. Jesus has saved you. If you believe in Jesus, he saved you from sin, from eternal damnation, from hell, from you. Do we understand that in this moment, Jesus has saved you from something? Can we just even acknowledge that and say, thank you, Jesus? Like, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from hell. Thank you for saving me from me. Thank you for saving me from what I think is right and how to live. Jesus has saved us from some, some, something great. I love what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Paul said this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul, who doesn't say who I was chief sinner, because I am, I am. I am the chief of sinners. This is a faithful saying. Can we know the, what's the faithful saying? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. One of the a faithful saying of the early church, Christ Jesus to save sinners from sin, from themselves, from hell, from death. God has saved you and I from something. And I, and I beg, because this is something in my heart where this can become old news. This can become like, I know this, I've heard this, this is elementary, this is like kindergarten Christianity, but let it always just be like PhD Christianity to us. Let it always just be something where we go, I cannot get over what Jesus has saved me from. He saved sinners and I am the chiefest of sinners. What I love about this truth is not just what he saved me from, but the righteous, holy life he's given me has now been given over to me. It's now been transferred to my account. I, I want us to understand what God has saved us from. There's a saying that I, I love, and I'm going to say it a couple times. And I want you to kind of say it with me, okay? Here's the gospel. On the cross, God treated Jesus as though he lived my life, so that on this day, God treats me as though I lived his. On the cross, church, God treated Jesus as though he lived my life, so that on this day, God treats me as, I, as though I lived his life. Can you repeat after me really quick? Just say this out loud with me. On the cross, God treated me as though I lived his life. And I messed that up. <laughs> God treated Jesus as though he lived my life. And so say, so that on this day, God treats me as though I lived his. Can I tell you, it's not just about forgiveness of sins, but it's about imputation. That God has now transferred over Christ's righteousness to my account. He saved us from something, but he saved us to something else. And let's, let's get this. Church, listen, we gotta, got to gotta get over the idea of what he's just not just saved us from, but what he saved us to. 
So meaning, yes, he saved us from hell, but he saved you to something today in this moment. We are saved to now a lifetime of with Jesus, following Jesus, being with Jesus. And what does that look like? When the Bible uses the word disciple or discipleship, it is like a weird kind of Christian word. And for us, it'd be like the word almost like apprentice or apprenticeship. But what does that look like today? There's three aspects to following Jesus. If you want to write these down, because this is what we're talking about, a community following Jesus. And here's what we see in the Gospels. What does it mean to follow Jesus? First of all, it means being with Jesus, being with Jesus, learning from Jesus, and becoming like Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means you're going to be with him, you're going to learn from him, and you'll become like him. Now let's break this down really quick. First and foremost, being with Jesus. Notice, again in verse 13 and 14, it moves on and says that they might be with him. Verse 14. The goal isn't just come follow me, and just, not just do what I'm doing, but be with me, spend time with me, know me. Do you know Jesus? Do you spend time with, are you with Jesus? When you wake up, when you pray, when you eat lunch, when you go to bed, can you look at your day and say, I had time with Jesus. My life was with Jesus. You know, there's a guy named Brother Lawrence who was like a monk in the 1600s, and sometimes these like writings get well-known again and famous again. There's a little book talking about the practicing the presence of God, and this is all he like worked on. This is whole, his whole life was about, our life is about just being with God practicing and being in the presence of God. And here's what he says about this. He says, there is not in the world, listen, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. He goes, there's nothing more delightful than this, those who are in constant communication with God, that you're with Jesus. Can people tell that you've been with Jesus? that you've spent time with Jesus. He goes on to write in this little book, and you can get it, it's so tiny. He says, one need not cry out very loudly, Jesus is nearer to us than we think. I love that thought. You don't need to cry out loudly. You can whisper under your breath because he hears, he's nearer than we think. Do we practice the presence of God? Listen, if there's anything we can walk away with, I would love to be a community following Jesus where people I know spend quality time with Jesus. You're with him and you enjoy it, and people see that change. I know you guys probably heard this first, but it's so profound, because after Jesus died and rose again, and the disciples are now filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, which we'll read about in a little bit, there's this man that they heal, and they just, this life is radically changed, and they're holding Peter on trial, going, you can't perform like miracles in the South, you can't do what you just did, and here's what it said about them. In Acts 4, verse 13, it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. And here's what they realized. Oh, they must have been with Jesus. <laughs> I love that thought. When they go, wow, look at the power of God in them. And the, the way they sound and talk, they sound very unintelligent. And oh, it must have been they've just been with Jesus. And there's just something about you can tell when someone's been with Jesus. And they go, they're, they're, this isn't them. This isn't their power. This isn't coming from them. They're not the source of this. The source of this is being with Jesus. Listen, I, at first and foremost, our great call, our chief desire is closeness with God. And our chief con concern should be farness from God. I think the greatest concern in life that we should have in a sense is like, am I close and near? Am I far from him? There's this chief desire they've been with Jesus. Not just that, but listen, when you're with Jesus, what's going to happen next? Number two is this, you're going to learn from Jesus. Eventually, as you spend time with him, you're going to learn from him. And I love that Jesus offers this to all of us. He's like, learn from me. It's Matthew 11. You know this so well. Jesus says what? Come to me. Hear that call? Do you hear that call again? Come to me. 
All you who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and listen to this, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you notice this phrase? He goes, learn from me. Watch how I do life. Watch how I interact with people and love people. Watch the way I just spend quiet time, silence, solitude, alone time, prayer, mornings, nights. Learn from me. My burden is light. And I know that we, we know this thought, but following Jesus is incredibly difficult at times, but it is the most rewarding thing when you actually can lay aside your weights for Jesus' weight, which is incredibly light. And he goes, learn from me, learn from me. As you spend time with me, learn from me. Guys, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Learn from Jesus. He goes, you're going to learn how to find rest. Who needs rest? You're going to learn how to find peace and contentment. Like, learn from me. As you're with me, learn from me. And following Jesus means we're learning from him. And then eventually, as we learn from him, what happens next? We, be, we become like him. Next, finally, what it means to follow Jesus is you will become like Jesus. Sooner or later, obviously, like, who you, you know this, who you spend time with kind of just rubs off on you. Like you're gonna talk the way they talked. You're gonna be the way they, they be. You're gonna like do all those things. The thing with Jesus is eventually you're gonna become like him. You know, Jesus said what in John 13? Jesus in John 13, 35 says, by this men, people will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. You wanna know how people are gonna know you're a follower of me, the way you treat and love and serve each other. People will look on and say they have such unique love for each other. They're willing to give and sacrifice and surrender for each other that they're going to say, you must be a follower of Jesus. Eventually, you're going to become like him. Church, I, I hope this is so true of us. We hear a need, we meet a need. We, we see some pain, we, we, we embrace and love and, and, and enter into that pain. The idea of like, we will become like Jesus. You know what Jesus did? So here's the 12 disciples. He calls them to himself. And he says, I want you to be with me. And then what he does, he sends them out. And what does he do? It's Mark chapter three. We'll read the verse again, verse 14 and 15. It says that he might send them out to what? To preach and to have power, to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Who does that remind you of? He's like, you're gonna preach. You're gonna have power. You're gonna cast out demons. You're gonna heal people. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. He's like, as you're with me, you're gonna learn from me. You're gonna become like, you're gonna do the things I've done. There's just something about people who spend time with Jesus and you go, your life just is, it's like this sweet fragrance. What is the difference? And you're like, Jesus. It's just intimacy with Jesus. Guys, our chief desire in life, like when I try to explain even Christianity to my son, I'm like, Michael, what's life about? And it's funny, like, ask him questions because you get the best responses. And he'll say something crazy sometimes. But sometimes he's like, life's about God. I'm like, yes, Micah, an intimacy with him to enjoy him and glorify him forever. Right, and I got to try to, like, quote, like, a catechism to him. And he's like, what are you talking about, Dad? But there's something about that. There's something about just having intimacy, enjoying him, enjoying him, glorifying him. He goes, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out to do what I've done. You're going to become like me. Listen, let me just ask you, have you heard the call of God in your life saying, leave this, follow me? Maybe it has been like, leave your identity in your career, follow me. Leave what you think will bring you meaning and value to life and follow me. Leave that relationship that is so toxic and follow me. It's the rich young ruler who says, what must I do to have eternal life? And he goes, he goes through the law and eventually he says, you know what? Sell your riches, give it to the poor and follow me. And he went away great, greatly sorrowful. And that's the one thing I can't do. I can't leave that and follow you. See, we have to recognize, is that thing that we're following right now or is that thing that we're living for right now, is it truly better than Jesus? Will it truly bring you more satisfaction than Jesus? You see, when G the, here's the call of the church. The call of the church is this, follow him. The call for you and I is come to Jesus, come to me, follow me. That is what we're trying to do personally. But here's the point number two. 
He never calls anyone to follow him alone. Do we get that? I want that to really sink in. The, number, the second point is this. There's a, a call from Jesus to follow him in community. Jesus calls us to follow him together. It's never alone. This idea of like isolated Christianity, I can do it on my own, who needs the church, it is so foreign to the Bible. That is not like, that is not a biblical concept at all. It's always follow Jesus with others, doing life with others and having Jesus be in the center. Here's the verse for us for number two. Uh, verse 14, look down again. Verse 14, what does it say? I like this thought. It says he appointed the 12. He appointed the 12. Circle the word appointed. That word appointed is this word made. That word made literally means calling something into existence. Mark 3.14, look down. He appointed, he made, he called something into existence. Something that was not formerly in, in existence is now in existence. And what is that? This community. He's saying, I'm going to make, I'm pointing you to fall. I'm making you, I'm calling you into a new community. The whole idea of following Jesus, we are once in an old community, following old patterns, following old lifestyles. Now we're in a new community with new people, new patterns, new lifestyles, new habits. And this idea of following Jesus in intimacy is the same word in Genesis 1.1. When it says, in the beginning, God created, he calls something, this is what he's doing. He's creating a new community. I want you to understand the church this idea is a new community Jesus made. So remember this in Matthew 16, Jesus said, on the rock, I, on this rock, I will build my church. So first of all, the church is Jesus's. He's the ultimate head of the church. And he goes, I'm going to build this community on the foundation that I am the Christ, that I am the son of the living God. We're going to build this new community on this truth. And there's a new community formed around the person of Jesus. John Stott, a great writer and author said this about this new community. He says, for the church lies, listen, the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. This is not an accident. It's not an afterthought. This is what God intended from the very beginning, a community of people following the ways of Jesus, following the person of Jesus. He's calling something into existence. Here's the idea of a church. The focus of our community is Jesus. The center of our community is Jesus. Why are we here? We're here to know him, to glorify him, to love him, to grow in faith and knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. Everything is about Jesus. Church communities fall apart when the center is no longer Jesus. Church life falls apart when the center is about something secondary. The hope for us, you guys, is to say Jesus is the center of this church. He's the center of the universe. He's the center of it all. And we are a community following Jesus. He's at the center of it. He's the focus. And we'll talk about this more in a second, but you guys know this. Like, when I look around, all of us have so many different interests and desires and passions, and some of us would never spend time with this other person sitting across from us if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus is the focus and center of both of our lives. That since we have Jesus in common, everything else just falls into place. Since we have Jesus, even if we have nothing in common, it's funny, we are just prone to this. I'm prone to, like, meet new people and go, they like what I like. They listen to the music I listen to. That means they're cool because I love me, right? Like someone's great because I love me and you're like me and I love me and I love you now. Like we're so weird, but the, the, po the focus of the church community is saying, no, no, Jesus is the center. It's not even necessarily a common interest. It's, it's greater than that. That if we have Jesus in common, everything else just seems to fit. I love the fact when I look at some of our groups and I go, like our communities. Our communities are like smaller gatherings of this. And I go, I love that there's this person in this state of life who thinks so differently than this person in this state of life. And there's like a 30-year age gap and they love each other and they pray for each other and they get coffee outside. Like that is a cool, I'm like, they would never do this if it wasn't for Jesus. 
Sometimes you look around and you're like, that, I would never talk to that person if it wasn't for Jesus. That actually makes me be like, I have a weird love for you now. Like, because Jesus just binds that and he's the center of that community. And this is God's intent all along, that he'd be the center of our community. We are a community following Jesus. This is a phrase we'll put up. You'll see it on our website. It's not just a cliche phrase. A community following Jesus, seeking the glory of God. Really, the church is that. We're a community following Jesus. Not following me. Not following the exchange. It's following Jesus. We're following Jesus. We want to build our lives on the person of Jesus. We want to know Jesus. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. If he's not the center, this is not a church. He must be the center. That's what it looks like. Now, here's what I love about this, and here's why I'm, I'm bringing this, I guess, today. Um, in Acts 2, which is kind of the common verse, I think, that you might know, like, oh, classic, you know, teaching on community, you're going to Acts 2. But here's what I love about Acts 2. Would, would you turn to Acts 2 really quick? Yes, we are going to do that. But in Acts chapter 2, I want you to read what's happening. Let me just give some context really quick. Acts chapter 2, the disciples, they're waiting. They're waiting for the power of God. They're waiting for the power of the Spirit. Jesus died and rose again. There's 120 of them gathered in this room praying, saying, God, let your power, let your glory fall on us. We don't want to do life without you, without your power, without the Holy Spirit. And so they're praying and waiting for God. In Acts chapter 2, it says that the Holy Spirit falls upon them like tongues of fire. You can literally see this like fire above their head. And there's this crazy power being poured out. They're speaking in new tongues. The people who are there for a big festival called Pentecost, they're there to celebrate this festival. They hear the disciples speaking in their tongue going, these men are drunk. How are they speaking? in my language. I can actually understand. Some are believing, going, wow, they speak in my tongue. I get crazy miracles happening in Acts chapter 2. Peter gets up and preaches the gospel. Here's the end of Peter's message, and here's what it says immediately after, and just follow with me. Acts 2 verse 38. It says, and Peter said to them at the end of this great message, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, this, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day. About 3,000 souls were added to the church, verse 42. And they devoted, they, they continued steadfastly to the apostles' doctrine, teaching, fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were, were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the pro proceeds to all who had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who are being saved. Listen, this is an extraordinary moment. Follow this process with me. Peter sees thousands of people. He preaches the gospel. 3,000 get saved that day. The power of God like, fell upon them. Tongues of fire. Crazy miracle moment happens. And know what they decide? They're like, we need, what would you do if you're a leader at that point? Like, what would be your strategy? As a leader, if you're like, okay, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Three people got saved. Like, what's your strategy as a leader? Know what, know what their strategy is? They go, we must now gather in smaller communities. We must now gather in homes. We must now do life together. Not like, how do we add to this miracle? How do we keep building to this miracle? Let's keep trying to like, do miracles. It's like, no, no. We must be gathered around Jesus, his teaching, prayer, fellowship, eating meals. One of my favorite things about following Jesus, uh, eating meals together. <laughs> He's like, this is what we must give ourselves to. Do we get that? This is, their this is such a weird thought to me. If this is like an amazing miracle today in 2000, we would get it on Instagram. We'd try to blow it up. We'd be like, hey, look at this miracle of God. They're just like, no, no, stop. Let's just gather in homes. 
Let's continue to practice this together in simplicity. Let's continue to live this out. Let us not just kind of look for these moments. Now let's live this out together doing life. You know, Acts 2.46 is really profound. We'll throw the verse up here again. But Acts 2.46, it says it this way. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. Listen, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There's two things here. It says they met in the temple and they met house to house. What are we doing right now? This is in a sense that temple gathering. This is every tribe, every nation, every tongue gathered together, studying the scriptures, trying to know Jesus, follow him together in a, in, a, in a mass message like this. But then we try to take it and we do it in our smaller communities. We try to say, okay, uh, we just read about baptism. Who's been baptized? Like the whole point was like, now let's carry this out. Hey, we just read about, you know, being saved from this broken generation. Where do you find yourself, you know, giving yourself over to just the brokenness of this generation and ha- what is God calling you out of specifically? The whole point of these smaller gatherings was not just to hear the word and go, I agree, but to go, okay, let's do this together. The reason why we have communities that meet throughout the week is like, great, you, you're hearing this word, but who's going to say, now have you repented of that? Have you pressed into that? Have you let go of that? Are you pursuing Jesus? Can I encourage you? Can I pray for you? I see this gift in you. Can we pray over you right now in this moment? Can we eat a meal together? Can we just, this is the whole point of, of church. They gather together in the temple and house to house. It's not a matter of, I think church should be all about groups. I think church should be all about, they did both. We're going to meet in the temple. We're going to meet house to house. And this was their strategy after this amazing power of God miracle happens. This is so key for us today. Like church, I, d- I don't want us to, to miss what's happening this moment. Please listen, guys. My hope for us is not just to gather together on Sundays and you sit shoulder to shoulder and then you leave. My hope is not that just that we hear the same message and go, okay, I guess that kind of made How do we actually hear the word of God together and say now we're going to love and serve each other and carry this out together? We're going to do this together. You know, Greg Laurie wrote this book called Upside Down Church. He's a pastor who just wrote about the church. And he, here's what he says. Listen, if we train people to be consumers instead of communers, we'll end up with customers instead of disciples. I don't want to train people to be consumers. How do we commune? How do we do life? Fellowship, that word fellowship or communion or this idea, just how do we just have the most important thing in common and we're going we're to do our best, as Matthew 28 says, to observe all the things that Jesus commanded us. That is what we're trying to do in those smaller communities. That is the goal for us, to eat those meals, to pray. Honestly, my heart eventually to even have communion in those, in those smaller gatherings, like the early church. Not just a little cracker in a little cup and be like, oh, that was so cool on Sunday, but to actually have a meal as we talk about and remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. I would love to get to this place where we can actually pray. And I think that, some, that scares some of you. You're like, oh, no, I like my little tiny cup. Like, oh, okay, cool. But maybe we need to press in a little bit more. <laughs> maybe God wants to challenge us in that way. Maybe that's something we need to really kind of give ourselves over. They were devoted to this. See, I, we're not going to see this if we're not devoted. And devotion begins with me, and it begins with you. But they were devoted to these things. They're devoted to this. So that is the hope. The reason why, again, we talk about this is because why, why does this seem so impossible in some ways? Like, why does this seem like, in theory, we agree, but is this something we, we really pursue? So here's some things, really quick. Obstacles to true community. Obstacles to true community. Um, why don't we necessarily see this? There's three thoughts, and we'll break this down really quick. Here's the three just general things. Why don't we see true community? I think there's connection, connection, but there's not true community. Uh, chemistry is not true community. Isolation and individualism is the antithesis of community. 
So let's just talk about this really quick. Connection is not true community. Um, I think I, in the past, was very guilty of this. You might be very connected to people. You know what's going on. You follow them on Instagram. You're like, I know what's happening in their life. Like, you know what, you, like, you know about, like, you're a stalker. Like, you know about them. They're connected in some ways, all right? Like, I know about you, you know, and I'm very connected. I go to this group here, and I go to this thing here, but no one really knows you. Maybe you're a very connected person, but do they really know you? You know, I, I've, one of my favorite questions, and I've talked about this with our elder nominee, with Mike, uh, is this question of, hey, what are, what, is your, um, what are your thoughts telling yourself? Like, when you think, when you think, what comes to your mind? What do you tell yourself every single day? What do you tell yourself about that person, about reality, about Jesus? Like, what, do you, what does your self-talk look like? And that's one of the, been one of the best questions I've asked people recently. What does your self-talk look like? When you talk to yourself in your mind, what does that look like? My point is this. I think that a lot of us might be very connected, but we're not in communion. A lot of us might be very connected, but do not mistake that for true community. Even the word community, it's this word that just comes from communication. It's the idea that you're going to talk and know each other. It's not that we get in a smaller group and then we just have another Bible study. There, there will be a time of that, but there will be talking, everyone sharing, everyone participating, everyone communicating. And just because you're connected doesn't mean you're in true community. And I think that this is something I had to repent of. I still have to repent of. And I would encourage you to do the same. Just because you're connected does not mean you're in true, biblical, Jesus-following community. Can we agree with that? Number two is this. Chemistry is not community. It's not true community. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, it is great. It is absolutely great. I get this. If you walk to a group and you're like, oh my gosh, I l- these people think like I do and they're, they're like me, it's awesome when you have immediate chemistry, but that's not always community. In fact, it's usually the opposite. You're just like, I have nothing in common with these people except for Jesus. I've got to figure this out. Now, I'll say this. I have some friends who are, you know, in California still, and we still have that, like, chemistry. We, we pick up where we, left off, where we left off, like, we have fun, we laugh, similar jokes, similar way of thinking. But can I tell you that people I have chemistry with, they're not in my community. That's not my community. This is my community. My small group, my group is my community. Like, they're the, that's the idea of, like, how do we not just have chemistry with people, but even when it's at odds or feels awkward or you feel that tension, how do we not run from that? We are just, like, afraid of tension. I don't know what it is anymore. But, like, as soon as there's tension, we're like, uh, I, gotta, I gotta go. Like, we're, we're not really good about, like, pressing in. I want to encourage you guys, when your small group just feels incredibly uncomfortable, go, yes. Like, okay, now you're at a point, like a tipping point. Either you break that awkward tension or you just retreat. And I would say press into that awkward tension. We love to retreat. Our generation, I think, loves to retreat. We're like, oh, this is too awkward. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'd say press into that. Because once we can kind of break that barrier, I feel like we're on the verge of authentic community where people can actually have vulnerability and openness and accountability. We've got to press through that, though. It's easy to kind of shop around small groups. It's easy to shop around churches. It's easy to go, I'm connected here, and I connect here, and I do this here, and I do that there. But it's like, but what is that local community of followers of Jesus that you've given yourself over to? I want to encourage you. If it's not here, that's somewhere else. Great. Find a local community of followers of Jesus and give yourself fully over to it. This they have part of me thing and they have part of me thing will not work. It just will not work for your spiritual growth. Would you agree? Can we say amen to that? Give yourself fully over to just a community of people following Jesus. There's something so important about that. And lastly, again, I know you guys know this, but isolation and individualism uh, is the antithesis of community. Meaning, we like to be alone, we want to have a lot, but like, we have this epidemic of loneliness today. We have this, we're more connected than ever, but yet we're more isolated and alone than ever. 
We can know what's going on at any point in time in any part of the world by just clicking a button, but yet we don't, we, we don't feel like anyone knows us. We don't know anyone. And I want us to fight against isolation and, and like this idea of even individualism of I'm here for me. I'm a small group for me. What are you going to show me? What are you going to teach me? What are you going to do for me? That can happen. We go to groups going, I didn't get anything out of that. What? And it's all about us in that moment, not like what can I give to this community? How can I be devoted to them even if they're not devoted to me? How can I give everything? Is that not the gospel? Where Jesus goes, I'm going to be devoted to you even if you're not devoted to me. I'm going to give you everything even if you're not interested in me. I mean, that is the things we're, we're trying to fight for in our communities, is this devotion to the gospel, this devotion to one another, this devotion to living this out, even if you're not getting it reciprocated. And this is difficult, because it's very difficult to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and then not be received. But is that not Jesus on the cross? When Jesus put himself out there, was incredibly vulnerable. We rejected him, we spat on him, we denied him, and Jesus goes, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. You see, Jesus was re- rejected by his own community. And he didn't get mad or bitter. He didn't say, I knew you guys weren't really in this thing. He's like, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, I'm all in still. There's a side of community where you go, even if you, someone hurts you in your community, even if someone talks bad about you, which is going to happen because we're a messy, broken church, when those things happen, you have, you have a desire to go, I knew the church was fake, I knew the church was full of hypocrites. Or you go, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. They're a work in progress, just like I'm a work in progress. God, show grace and mercy on them because I need grace and mercy. And we can either get bitter at the church and run from the church, or you press more into it and say, this is a reminder that this is only found in Jesus. And we're going to try to do that together as we pursue him. You see, you know what I love about this, this text in Mark 3? Look at the just group of people he chose. It is mind-blowing to me. I mean, obviously he chose even Judas, the one who's going to betray him. <laughs> he chose Peter, who would also betray him in just like a different way and repent, actually. But when you look at this group, it's so interesting. Jesus, and I know maybe you've heard this, but I still can't get over this whenever I read that. Jesus chose Matthew, a tax collector, a Jew, working for the Roman government, and he also chooses Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot, a zealot was someone who wanted to kill those, especially Jews who were working for Rome. He hated the Rome occupation. They wanted nothing to do with Rome. Rome was occupying their land, their territory. The idea of Simon was, I must get Rome out of here, and here's a Jew working for Rome, like, hey, hi, shalom, right? And they're like, they're together in community. Like, I picture just Simon cringing, like, I killed people like you, like, right? Like, when you think of a zealot, that's what they're known for. Zealots, if you read about them, they're known for having, like, small knives and stabbing a Roman and leaving. Like, that's what Simon, that's the part of the, the political group he was a part of. He's a zealot. And you have Matthew working for them. And I, I just picture Jesus at breakfast, like, looking at Matthew and Simon, like, like, and, like, what's going to come out of this moment? That was the community he brought together. And that's our community that we want to bring together. We want to bring people together that have nothing our political views, our race, our ethnicity, or how much we, money we make or don't make, we want to bring those people together and say, you have the most important thing in common. Do life together. Follow Jesus together. The stereotypes you've created break those down. That's your brother or sister in Christ. You love them. You serve them. You be devoted to them. You give everything you got for that person. There's a side of that's what, That's like the hope of this. Will we fail? Absolutely. Will we repent? I hope so. <laughs> Will we say, you know what? I blew it there. I, I could have been. That is like the hope of this. That is the hope of this. People truly dedicated the gospel of Jesus into one another. Listen, what is the church? It's community following Jesus. Jesus is the center of it. He's the focal point of it. And we want to just do this where people say, I'm, I'm all in. Now listen, I'm not, I know that this must be intimidating. We're American Christians in some ways. In some ways for us, we're like commitment. Like the idea of like, I can come and go. I want to come and go whenever I want, however I want. But that is just not the call of biblical community. It's just not. It is like, I'm devoted to you. 
you're devoted, we're, we're devoted to the gospel of Jesus. And it fights everything, everything I grew up with and you grew up with. This individualistic, my way, my timing, my what, it fights against all of that. But when you surrender to it, finally you will see things that you're praying to see. We're praying to see vul- true vulnerability. You know, we have a recovery group starting actually um, for us. And the recovery group, we want to change some of the stereotypes around that. You know, I think some of the, the stigmas that can kind of be associated with that. This idea, guys, we all have addiction. Like, you know, if you just watch 25 Netflix episodes in a row, probably need the recovery group. Like, the idea is, like, all of us, all of us have this to some capacity. And there's a hope with this. There's, there's really a hope where what I love about the recovery community, and if you've been around it or talked to people who've been around it, there really is this confess your sins one to another thing happening where they're like, this is what I did this week, and it was really shameful. It's not like I'm the superior, yes, keep telling me, but I'll never, it's like, well, I'll tell you my things that are pretty shame. And there's this like mutual vulnerability and accountability that we're praying like, God, please apply that to the church. I was reading different statistics that came out saying that it's sad how more life change happens in AA meetings than in churches. And they're looking at real life change, the percentage of people who attend church, percentage of people who ch- attend being AA meeting, they're saying more life change happens by those who attended AA. And the conclusion of the article is basically saying vulnerability. The conclusion was that they're not going to hide their sin like the church does so often. And that's so challenging. How do we do 1 James 5, or 1 James, James 5, 16? Confess your sins one to another so that you might find healing. It's like, man, if we really want to see healing, we need to do this together. We need to confess together. My prayers, even in our groups, my group specifically, there's something I want to do differently at the end of our group time because I go, there needs to be some changes happening. And we won't get it right the first time, and it will take a while, and please be patient. But that is our hope. So here's why I'm saying this. Um, for us, when we talk about church life, first week, one week down, we are community following Jesus. Now, practically, let me share a couple things with you practically. We're going to transition into some, some practical things to this. Uh, we're going to put up our group pictures. We have eight groups, eight groups. Um, as I mentioned, we have a new group, a recovery group starting. We'd love for you to be part of that if that's something you're interested in. Um, we do have one co-ed group. We have one married group or dating kind of a group. And then we have guy groups, girl groups. Um, my hope would eventually be that we have 15, 20 groups that can actually have groups of like six to eight people. That would be like my goal. I would love that. Right now we have eight, and we're asking our, our leaders to raise up co-leaders. We're asking them to try to invest in, in people within their group because we want to have enough groups for that. Here's the thing. This is not necessarily a pitch for groups. This is a pitch for community in the eight house to house. This is saying everything we studied today, guys, okay, we can't just be like, okay, I, I g- agree with that in theory. It's like, okay, so whose who's community are you signed up for? Like, what community are you going to give yourself over to? And that is the hope. The hope is that, that I agree with this in theory. The hope is like, okay, let's do this. And can I tell you, it's difficult to show up. It's difficult to be present. It's one of those things you're like, oh, I have groups tonight. You're like, should I go? And then you go and you're like, I'm so glad I went, <laughs> right? And there's like that weird like battle in your heart and mind. And I want to say, be present, be committed be devoted to one another. Um, you can sign up. We're going to have them in the back, this group signups, and you can do it online if you like. Um, our leaders who are leading the group will be in the back, and they have their favorite, like, treat there. So maybe you're like, oh, you like Reese's? Mine. Um, hey, we have something in common. Like, I don't know, but whatever. Find their, find their thing, and you can have something in common with them. Uh, but we really do just want to try to build this. So this is the first thing. This is not just like we have groups, but we're a community. We're a church of groups. Not just like we offer this as a program, but we're a church, we're a gathering of people made up of smaller gatherings. Amen? It's not a program. These are our smaller gatherings that make up this gathering here. All right, next is this. As we talk about this series, Church Life, and um, next week, I love this, how everyone has a role. Everyone has a role. You have a role that is so, ne- when you don't show up, our body feels that. It needs to be that way. 
It needs to be the way where you're like, you offer that, that gift of exhortation, maybe that just gift of love. You have that prophetic gift, that word of wisdom, that word of knowledge. Like the, everyone here has a role that, we need, that needs to be fulfilled. That's one thing we'll talk about next week more. But also, God has created and designed deacons and elders, and we'll look at what that means. Deacons means from the dust. <laughs> we'll talk about that. We'll talk about an elder, a shepherd, a pastor, that kind of heart. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to show you really quick our deacon nominees, people we spent uh, many weeks and months with, people who've been serving here faithfully, but who've also expressed um, what we believe to do justice, which is deacon ministry, to do justice, to bring justice. And we'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But here are deacon nominees. You can read them. You can see them. We'll put this, like I said, in a newsletter. So sign up for that if you're not a part of that. We do want this to be a, a thing where if you feel like there's a question or you feel like there's a concern, bring that to our attention. Uh, here's a couple of verses really quick. Here's why we're doing this. 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul says, and the things you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses. That's what we're doing here. But now next, and trust them to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. 1 Timothy 3.10. It says, and let them, deacons, also be tested first. Then let them serve as a deacon if they prove themselves blameless. That was a fun topic when we talked about blameless. So this is something we walked through with them, and now we're trying to make it public and say, and in two weeks, we're going to have a deacon kind of day where we uh, commission our deacons. So we want you guys to be aware of who they are and bring any concerns. Uh, next is this. We have an elder nominee. We have one elder nominee. His name is Mike. Mike has spoke for us a couple different times. He's been a shepherd, kind of like a father figure to many. And um, he has that shepherd's heart. And so we want you to show him because if there's any concerns, tell us and we'll beat him up. Um, but we do want to know this. He- here, here's the thing. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing it this way? Paul told Timothy and Titus in every city, establish leadership. Elders, deacons, th- that's our hope. Um, our hope is to be a church that follows the commands of God to the best of our ability, to the best of our interpretation. We want to follow Jesus in every way. So we have to have local leadership. So I'm excited. This is kind of our first round of this. Um, we've had other pastors who serve at our church in like a, an authority, accountability way, which has been awesome. And we're hoping to eventually have our own local elders that can govern this church locally. So we do have four other elders and pastors. Chris Bosalici, Greg Anderson, Casey, uh, Cleveland, Mitch Thompson. These make up our, in a sense, board. And it's, they're awesome men of God who love Jesus. But can I tell you, we want to have a local church r- led by local leaders. That is the goal. So we'll talk more about that. You're like, what does that even mean? We'll talk more about that. But we, this is it. We want you guys to be aware of what's happening. So please bring these things to our attention. We want them to be tested in that sense. Uh, and this is not to be heavy. This is like, this is to further, can I tell you, whenever this happens, whenever churches do this, when you see this in Acts, it says, and the word of God spread quickly. That is the hope. The word of God spreads quickly as we obey the commands of God. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray. We're going to worship Jesus a little bit, and then we're going to give opportunity to sign up for groups, and I have one more uh, announcement that I'm not going to do now, so we'll do it at the end. Let's pray, and then let's worship. Father, um, as we plan our ways, we really want you and beg you and ask you just to, to direct our steps. Let it not be what I think or what we think, but Jesus, let it be from you. Let you lead us and govern us and guide us. You are the chief shepherd. You are the good shepherd. You are the great shepherd. Lord, we are here to worship you, to focus on you. And God, I just ask that <laughs> those who are maybe here today going, what was that, Jesus, that we truly hear today's call from you to follow you and that we'd follow you together and let us not be isolated anymore. Just pray against individualism and isolation and I can be a Christian and I can attend once a week. God, let it be just not, let it be more. Not that that is wrong or s- just let it just be more. Let it be what you intended. 
So we just ask that you would just move as we worship, as we sing, that Jesus, you would be lifted up and you draw all people to yourself. Let that happen now in your wonderful name. Amen. Let's stand and let's just close with some worship.